Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com. In this episode we're continuing our reading of Five Months at Anzac. Usual reminder to sign up to the Substack at 1914-1918.substack.com. There you'll get the weekly newsletter. It's completely free to sign up and you can unsubscribe at any time, uh, so give it a go, see what you think. Everything you hold for a file is at least. Nur durch starke Berührung mit der See können wir den für uns möglichen weltumfangenen Geistgenau von Gewinn. Chapter 14. The Swimming One thing that was really good in Anzac was the swimming. At first we used to dive off the barges. Then the engineers built Watson's Pier, at the end of which the water was 15 feet deep and clear as crystal, so that one could see every pebble on the bottom. At times the water was very cold, but always invigorating. General Birdwood was an enthusiastic swimmer, but he always caused me a lot of anxiety. That pier was well covered by Beachy Bill, and one never knew when he might choose to give it his attention. This did not deter the general. He came down most regularly, sauntered out to the end, went through a lot of Sandow exercises, and finally jumped in. He then swam out to a buoy moored about a quarter of a mile away. On his return, he was most leisurely in drying himself, Had anything happened to him, I don't know what the men would have done, for he was adored by everyone. Swimming was popular with all hands. Early in the campaign, we had a Turkish attack one morning. It was over by midday, and an hour later, most of the men were in swimming. I think it not unlikely that some of the missing men were due to this habit. They would come to the beach and leave their clothes and identity discs ashore, and sometimes they were killed in the water. In this case, there was no possibility of ascertaining their names. It often struck me that this might account for some whose whereabouts were unknown. While swimming, the opportunity was taken by a good many to soak their pants and shirts, inside which there was, very often, more than the owner himself. I saw one man fish his pants out. After examining the seams, he said to his pal, They're not dead yet. His pal replied, Never mind, you gave them one hell of a fright. These insects were a great pest, and I would counsel friends sending parcels to the soldiers to include a tin of insecticide. It was invaluable when it could be obtained. I got a fright myself one night. A lot of things were doing the Melbourne Cup inside my blanket. The horrible thought suggested itself that I had got them too. But a light revealed the presence of fleas... These were very large, able-bodied animals and became our constant companions at night time. In fact, one could only get to sleep after dosing the blanket with insecticide. My little dog Paddy enjoyed the swimming almost as much as I did. He was a great favourite with everybody but the Provost Marshal. This official was in terror for red tape and an order came out that dogs were to be destroyed. That meant that the military police were after Paddy. However, I went to General Birdwood, who was very handsome about it, and gave me permission to keep the little chap. Almost immediately, after he was reprieved, 
he ran down to the Provost Marshal's dugout and barked at him. Paddy was very nearly human. One day we were down as usual when Beachy Bill got busy and I had to leave the pier with only boots and a smile on. I took refuge behind my old friends, the Biscuits, and Paddy ran out to each shell, barking until it exploded. Finally one burst over him and a bullet perforated his abdomen. His squeals were piteous. He lived until the next day, but he got a soldier's burial. Chapter 15. Turkish Prisoners We saw a good many Turkish prisoners at one time or another, and invariably fraternised with them. They were kept inside a barbed wire enclosure with a guard over them, but there was no need to prevent their escape. They wouldn't leave if they got the chance. On one occasion, twelve of them were told to go some distance into the scrub and bring in some firewood. No one was sent with them, the idea being to encourage them to go to their lines and persuade some of the Turks to desert to us. But they were like the cat. They all came back with the firewood. I saw two of our men on one occasion bringing in a prisoner. They halted on the hill opposite us, and one of them went to headquarters to ascertain how the prisoner was to be disposed of. In a very short time, he was surrounded by 14 or 15 of our soldiers, trying to carry on a conversation and giving him cigarettes, and in fact anything he would accept. An hour before, they'd been trying their best to shoot one another. In one of the attacks on our left, the Turks were badly beaten off, and left a lot of their dead close up to our trenches. As it was not safe to get over and remove the bodies, a number of boat hooks were obtained, and with them the bodies were pulled into our trenches. One of the bodies proved to be a live Turk, who was unable to get back to his line for fear of being shot by our men. He was blindfolded and sent down to the compound with the other prisoners. The difficulty of obtaining sufficient exercise was very great at times, territory under a square mile in extent, and none of it was free from shell or rifle fire, so that our perambulations were carried on under difficulty. Major Meikle and I had our regular walk before breakfast. At first we went down the beach towards Gaba Tepe, and then we sat for a while talking and trying to see what we could see, but a sniper apparently used to watch for us for we were invariably saluted by the ping of a rifle in the distance and the dust of a bullet in close proximity to our feet. We concluded that if we continued to walk in this direction, someone would be getting hurt, so our walks were altered to the road around Pluggy's Plateau. We were seated there one morning when our howitzer in the gully was fired, and we felt that the shell was not far from us where we sat. We went down to the battery and I interrogated some of the gunners. How far off the top of that hill does that shell go? said I. About a yard, sir, replied the man. One time we hit it. I asked him if it would be convenient for the battery to elevate a bit if we were sitting there again. That brings us to the end of chapter 15. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. As always, sign up to the Substack. The link's in the show notes if you want an easy way to find it. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.